Hello, my name is Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to the newest episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we will give you the lowdown on the latest news of the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week. Coming up in today's show, we'll take a look at how the big aircraft manufacturers survived the first half of the year, and Tom will take a look at how Lufthansa is coping with COVID-19. Joe will take a look at the lack of large aircraft in our future skies, and I'll explore how British Airways is already putting the Boeing 787-10 to good use. To round off, I'll tell you about the retirement of the world's very first A330. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. So to kick off, it's uh, it's quarterly report time and don't we know it? <laughs> We're getting an awful lot of uh, very poor financial reports from airlines. And uh, in the last week, it was the turn of the two big aircraft manufacturers. So um, we had the kind of end of second quarter reports from both Boeing and Airbus, which as expected were not the best reading, really. (laughs) Um, So, Boeing posted a total of a $2.4 billion loss for the quarter, which to me sounds enormous. Um, Obviously, they're struggling still with the grounding of the MAX, um, as well as the COVID-19 situation. Um, But actually, weirdly, that was an improvement from this time last year. So, uh, they had a worst second quarter in 2019. They actually lost $2.942 billion. Um, So, yeah, it was a bad quarter, but considering everything that's going on, it could have been worse. Um, Between April and June, their revenue was about 11 billion, 11.8 billion, uh, which was down 25% from the previous year. Obviously, they can't deliver the max at the moment. So, there's around 423 undelivered max sitting around uh, Boeing's various storage facilities. And obviously, that's further compounded by a lack of demand for new aircraft. So, Um, In this quarter, they delivered just 20 aircraft to their commercial customers, and that's compared to 90 in 2019. And the MAX issue was present in that quarter last year. So, um, you know, although 90 was not very many, 20 is obviously way, way less. Yeah, so a pretty disastrous quarter all round for Boeing. Hopefully, things will pick up for them. Um, Airbus didn't do a whole lot better. Uh, Their loss was posted at 1.2 billion euros, which uh, translates to $1.4 billion. Um, I think, crucially, this was worse than the analysts had been predicting. So, their forecast was for a loss of some $1.027 billion for the period. So, they actually did a little bit worse than um, people had thought they were going to do back at the end of the first quarter. Um, their revenues dropped 55%. So, they actually brought in um, $9.76 billion. And again, this was worse than was being predicted by the analysts. So, the forecasts at the end of the first quarter, taking into account all the current challenges were that they'd bring in 10.04 billion. So, you know, a few million dollars worth of orders there um, that were missing from the books. So, uh, I think it's really sort of hitting home how tricky the times are at the moment. Um, In fact, Airbus only confirmed eight orders in total for the whole of the second quarter. Um, They were all from the same customer as well, from a leasing company. Um, Although the good news on the Airbus side is that deliveries picked up. So, uh, Boeing delivered just 20, but Airbus delivered 36 during the month. Uh, Oh, sorry, that was just during the month of June, actually. And it was a total of 74 aircraft during the whole quarter. 
Um, and another bit of good news from Airbus is that they've got a gross cash, cash position of 17.5 billion euros, which is a, a good position to be in. I think, you know, everybody agrees at the moment cash is king. And if you've got a bit of a bankroll behind you, then uh, you stand a good chance of coming out unscathed. So tricky times. Um, and I think, you know, as a marker of how tricky it is, is that Boeing and Airbus have been revealed to have more than 600 aircraft sitting around waiting to be delivered. Um, and this is kind of a combination of things. Obviously, a lot of those are the 737 MAX. There's about 423, as I said earlier. But they've also got 31 Dreamliners, five 777s, a 767 and a couple of 7478 freighters. Um, mm. And it's a kind of a combination of airlines deferring some deliveries, obviously not wanting to take the extra capacity at this point in time, um, mm. but also the, the kind of travel restrictions and the issues with borders being closed is making it very difficult for air crews to actually get to Boeing Field or wherever mm. to pick up the aircraft and take it back to their home without having to undergo various tests and quarantines and what have you. Um, so Airbus themselves have a stockpile of 166 undelivered jets. Um, and it's not just the big ones either. They've got 11 of their little A220s sitting around and 112 A320 family aircraft, um, okay. as well as a, a handful of A330s, A350s and four A380s, very sadly. So yeah. that's that's my roundup of where we are with the manufacturers. Um, it's not been a good quarter, but in some ways, I think it could have been worse. Yeah, probably could have been worse, but <laughs> also probably could have been better. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, Tom, you got to go on yet another trip yesterday, uh, and this one did involve yes. planes, but not flying. Do you want to tell us yep. about what you were doing at Lufthansa yesterday? Yep. So yesterday I got the, my first press invite for the longest time and um, it was just uh, not too far just hopped on the s-bahn down to the airport and met with lufthansa and we spent a lot of time sort of discussing three key areas so the first sort of topic was how the airline is coping with um, covid19 and all of this um, and then we visited the testing center um, at the airport which was quite interesting um, and then finally, we went and um, learned about how aircraft are brought out of parking and uh, mm. back into operation. I bet that was so interesting. It was fascinating. I was My brain was dead by the end of it. I'd taken in so much <laughs> knowledge. <laughs> um, but yeah, we started off um, with a meeting with the head of the um, Frankfurt hub um, and we were just sort of discussing the processes in place. So um, Lufthansa is now giving everyone a hand wipe, as we discussed last week. Um, yeah. And um, there's many things in play, like um, now the boarding um, sequence has supposedly changed so that window seats are being filled, then middle seats, then aisle seats. Although, okay. as we discussed last week, I haven't seen this yet. That must um, be really complicated to manage. <laughs> well, it was interesting because there was also members of crew at the day and they said actually um, they were joking that they want to keep these changes around um, once COVID has gone away because actually um, they're finding it so much quicker and more efficient to board aircraft this way and to deplane in rows as we were talking about last week. Um, yeah, well, it's all right if the passengers are compliant. And I imagine yeah. with uh, German efficiency, it's very easy out of Frankfurt. But I can't mm. imagine a, an easy jet flight going from Bristol and everybody actually boarding when they're told to. You know, people want to 
get on the plane together and they'll just do what they want. At mm. least British people will. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, talking about compliant passengers, I actually, I uh, brought up the subject of mask wearing um, in the questions and answers, um, because obviously there's a frequent discussion on this podcast is how um, <laughs> frequently in America we're seeing stories such as airplane return to origin because passengers wouldn't wear masks or yeah. Delta's banned over 100 people for flying without masks. Um, so I, I raised this um, with the Lufthansa people who were there yesterday, and they said actually they've had no incidents uh, yet of people refusing to wear masks. Um, everyone's been fully compliant. There's been maybe a couple of cases where people haven't had masks on the airplane, but they've just politely been asked to put them on, and they've um, done that. And um, as such, the airline doesn't actually have a strict policy on um what happens when a passenger doesn't wear a mask because simply they don't need it. Okay. Um, well, that's good. Which um, is pretty incredible, I think. In fact, um, one of the cabin crew members I was chatting with remarked, uh, he's been working on India flights recently, and he was remarking that he's actually seen passengers going beyond. So rather than just wearing the mask, they're also wearing the face shield and a gown wow. and gloves. <laughs> That's cool. You know, so it really shows how different things are on the two sides of the Atlantic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, then after that, um, with a slight delay due to a fire alarm at the airport, we got to visit the testing centre. Um, and I was blown away by the scale of this operation. You know, I thought, <laughs> I was thinking it was going to be like a little place where a couple of people go to get tested. No, they're doing 2,000 tests a day at the moment. Um, wow. And when we went, I think the queue was, it was several hundred metres long at least. It was... Wow. Um, quite the thing. Um, but it's interesting because there were two queues. There was one queue for people who are registered like you're meant to um, and another queue for people who haven't registered. And that queue was packed. Oh, but the, the queue for people who had registered was um, tiny. So um, I think most people were just queuing to uh, register for the test and to pay for it. But okay. then once you've done that, uh, you get given a box that has a couple of tests in and some paper and some literature and um, an identifier so that you can find your test um then you go into another queue <laughs> there's a lot of queuing involved but it was socially distanced <laughs> queuing so oh, that's um, good. yeah and then uh, you go into a little booth where somebody sticks a probe right at the back of your throat um, <laughs> and um, then you just have to go to a computer workstation where your two results are collected and uh, samples are collected and they tie the samples to your user account and did you try this firsthand, Tom? No, I didn't. I was fortunate <laughs> enough to be given one of the tests as a little take-home souvenir. Um, oh, very so nice. <laughs> I'm thinking I might have to frame you that and put that on up your girlfriend on the, or something on the wall, maybe. Um, but yeah, um, I, I mean, I don't feel like I would do the test at the moment. It was interesting because he said out of 40,000 tests that they've done so far in the four weeks it's been opened, um, only around 100 people have tested positive. Okay. Um, and it's interesting because from Monday, the German government is mandating tests for anyone coming from a high-risk country. And these tests will be covered by the government, so there's no additional financial burden. Um, but the interesting thing was, he said, the majority of these 100 positive tests has actually come from low-risk countries. Oh, right. Um, so such as the European Union, um, like France, Denmark, maybe, oh, right. Switzerland. Um, That's surprising. Which, 
Yeah, it was surprising because you kind of think that these countries are low risk for a reason, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, after that, we then hopped on an airport bus um, to the other side of the field and visited Lufthansa Technik, um, where we were fortunate enough to see a couple of A340s um, that are being returned to service. They're meant to fly to um, Miami and Seattle. Um so it does show that Lufthansa is ramping up its um, services. Yeah, especially brilliant. if they're putting a three forty on the route. Yeah, like, there great must to be see the quadjets back as well. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it's just the Dash three hundreds because, as we've talked about previously, all of the Dash six hundreds are sat in the desert waiting for sunnier days. Yeah, yeah. Still good to see large aircraft coming back. Mm. And I mean, there's so much more I could say about the difference between parking and storing and all that, but um, <laughs> I don't want to drag this on um, too much. So if you are interested in that, be sure to read the relevant article on simple flying. <laughs> nice plug, Tom. I'll be looking forward to reading it myself because it sounds super interesting. And I think it's, uh, you know, it's very topical. There's a lot of aircraft yeah. coming back from storage. And yeah. as we've already seen, we didn't really talk about it last week, but there was a, an airworthiness directive raised well, it, for the um, 737, not the MAX, the, the mm. um, next generation, the NGs. And uh, yeah, they've, there's some sort of corrosion in an, an air bleed valve that means mm. that they could experience a dual engine failure. So it all needs to be inspected before they come back. And I think, you know, this is going to be a recurring theme as aircraft come back into service from long periods in storage. Everything's going to need to be checked and there may well be new faults that come up. So, uh, Well, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one, actually, because um, I think you're more talking about aircraft that have been parked and there's a... There's a subtle difference between being parked and being stored. um, Okay. Whereby um, with aircraft that are being parked they're having a lot of little maintenance tasks regularly um so over a longer period of time there's more costs but uh, it's much easier to bring the aircraft back whereas aircraft that have been stored have an awful lot of work done right at the start and then they're left um completely wrapped up Um, and mothballed yeah yeah. Yeah. so um the majority of the ones that are coming back i think have been parked at the moment um But yeah, it'd be interesting to see because I mean, obviously, all of these aircraft have been designed um, for, for being regular parked. use. Yeah. Uh, well, no, they've been. They've also been. Oh, I see. Like um, all of them come with procedures from Airbus or Boeing saying if you're going to park your aircraft, this is how to do it. Okay, um, I see. But obviously, the airlines are now having to open their dusty manuals and find out what do we need to do. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, because usually it's like buy a plane, use it as much as possible, yeah. and then retire it. So, uh, yeah, mm. unprecedented times. Um, so interesting to see the A340s coming back because one of the messages we got from the manufacturers this week as part of their um, earnings releases was that we're not going to have as many large aircraft in our skies for the next few years as as we might have liked to have think. So um, we already knew, obviously, the A380 was set to end production next year. Um, in fact, we covered a couple of months ago that the last parts, the last wings and vertical stabilizer had already gone to Toulouse. Um, so even the existing fleet, even the ones that are already in use are being questioned in the current environment. You know, there's an awful lot. They were the first lot to go into storage. They'll likely be some of the last to come back. Um, There are some exceptions. Obviously, Anna is just waiting for Hawaii to open, and I'm sure that they'll be keen to put their flying Honus back on the the, uh, Japan to Hawaii route. Um, 
Emirates doesn't have much choice but to fly the A380 because it hasn't got an awful lot else. But a lo- an awful lot of other airlines are storing these planes with no rush to bring them back into service. You know, Qantas has said that theirs are going to hibernate for years and Qatar as well isn't thinking to bring it back anytime soon. So that's one large aircraft that we're going to be seeing less of. And confirmed in Boeing's results was that the production of the 747 will end. Um, this has been rumoured for, oh, I don't know, two or three weeks now. People have been saying, are they are they wrapping it up? Are they wrapping it up? But it was confirmed by um, Dave Calhoun in the report um, in, a, in a letter to employees basically saying that it just doesn't fit with the, the future aircraft matrix. So um, the Queen of the Skies, which I will stand by my nomenclature for because uh, somebody told me today that it's not the Queen of the Skies and that the Lockheed Constellation is the Queen of the Skies, but I beg to differ, um, that it will stop building the Queen of the Skies in 2022. Um, so that, I mean, there were not many more passenger aircraft on order anyway, mostly uh, freighters. And I'm guessing they're going to try and get through their backlog of freighter orders before they shut production down. Um, but obviously, we've got a whole lot less 747s in our kind of global fleet as it is. Qantas, KLM, BA, Virgin, they've all ditched them as part of kind of the COVID response. Um, so there will still be some to fly. Lufthansa, Korean and Air China, for example, all have the 747-8 intercontinental. Um, so, you know, there will be an opportunity to fly the 747, but to fly on the 747-400, I think will be awfully limited going forward. Um, so replacing the 747 kind of um, was to be the 777X, which is the new Boeing enormous plane, um, which we saw take its first flight in January this year. Uh, it's already massively delayed. You know, they, they were hoping to bring it to Paris Air Show last year, but there were engine issues and there was this and there was that and the door blew off when they were doing an air tightness test. And yeah, so... Um, it was pushed back and the first flight didn't take place until this January. Lufthansa just weeks ago said that they were still really keen to receive their first early next year. Um, but now Boeing's confirmed that that has been pushed back until 2022 as well. So um, we won't be seeing any of those flying around. And there are other wide bodies as well that we're going to be seeing less of in terms of brand new aircraft. So um, Boeing is reducing the combined 777 and 777X production to just two per month as from next year, which is one less than it previously told us it was going to be churning out. Only six Dreamliners will leave the factory every month from 2021 onwards. Um, the previous plan was to stick at 10 per month through to 22 and then dropping it down to seven. So that's quite a severe reduction in Dreamliners um, coming out of the factory, actually. Um, and then on the Airbus side as well, Airbus has cut the production rate of the A350 again. Um, so back in April, they said uh, they were bringing it down um from nine and a half per month. I don't know how you make half an aircraft, but I guess it's just evened out over the year. Um, but anyway, you from build the rate half of, of it in June and the other half in July. Yeah, and I guess stitch them together <laughs> with some special airplane glue. Yeah, absolutely. Some of that um, air tape or whatever it's called. So, uh, yeah, so from 9.5 per month to just six. Um, and now it's trimming it further to just five per month. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, we can all agree it's the it's the wide body market that's going to be hit the hardest by COVID. Everybody says that um, regional and domestic travel will come back much faster than international travel. So I think this is a trend we'll continue to see going forward. But I have to say, I'm sad to see the end of the Queen and I'm doubly sad that we won't be seeing the 777X next year. 
It would come eventually, though, I'm sure. Oh, well, they've invested too much to abandon it. So it's got to really, hasn't it? Even if it's not the best plane for the future market, maybe it will be Boeing's uh, A380 moment. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, um, British Airways is going to take some, I hope so. (laughs) Let's hope so. But talking about Boeing airplanes that British Airways has already taken, um, just a month ago, I think we were discussing how BA had taken its first two 787-10s. Um, in the space of a week. And you may have been thinking, well, BA's not really flying so much right now. What's been happening with these? Um, Have they just been sitting gathering dust? Well, the answer is no, actually. They've been thrown straight in the deep end. Um, And even though they're not being used by British Airways, they're being used by uh, a partner airline, if you want to call it that, IAG Cargo, um, which is part of the International Airlines Group that also owns British Airways. But I say airline um, with a hint of caution because they don't actually have any of their own aircraft. Um, okay. <laughs> um, so they, what they do is they rely on um, air, um, other airlines in the IAG group to uh, actually move the cargo around. And they've seen a huge... They've, they've been placed in a really sort of unique position with the current crisis because... Um, there's been obviously a huge increase um, in demand for freight, uh, um, freight to be moved around because the capacity yeah. in the bellies of passenger planes has dropped. Um, and IAG Cargo has found, well, actually, we've got a load of planes that we can um, suddenly put to use, whereas maybe other people like um, DHL or FedEx haven't got the surplus aircraft. No, um, right. So what they've done is they've been taking a lot of BA's planes um, to do cargo flights to Shanghai, to Beijing. Um, and actually, the 787-10 has been in use going to um, Dallas. Um, and both of them cool. were flying to Dallas originally. I think the last week or so, um, one of them has been flying to Seattle as well. Um, but it's it's really good to see that these planes actually are being used and that people are still taking delivery of new planes because a lot of, as you mentioned earlier, Boeing has only shipped um, 20 aircraft in quarter three. 10% of those were British Airways' 787-10s. So it's interesting because it's with the retirement of the 747 as well, the 787-10 is one of the sort of bigger aircraft in... um, British Airways is Arsenal now, um, yeah, alongside sure. the triple seven, um, and it can actually has a carry up to thirteen pallets of cargo with a maximum takeoff weight of over two hundred and fifty tons. And so, this is not using the passenger compartment. No, this no, no. Is this is just in the, in the solely the the cargo compartment underneath. Nice. Amazing. Um, I think they'd be um, unkeen to rip out their shiny new, brand new <laughs> club world seats. Yeah, straight away. <laughs> So um, that was just a fun little story we had. Um, It's just, I think it's really nice to see that while so many aircraft are just sitting in um, Seattle and um, Moses Lake and Toulouse just waiting to be delivered, hoping that somebody will take them, um, BA is actually doing this. Because, of course, it's not just the... 787 that they've taken they've also been um continuing deliveries of the new a350s oh great Um, so surely that's going to win them some brownie points with the manufacturers when this is all over well i think so and i think you know with the passengers too they're going to have a young 
you know, mm. environmentally conscious and, and very modern fleet. So, yeah, fantastic. Um, cool. So, um, just to kind of round things off today, I wanted to talk about the very first A330 in the entire world um, because it got retired this week. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, the A330, it's a very overlooked line of aircraft. You know, it's it's been through many derivatives and iterations and it's found a new lease of life as the 900neo. And, you know, in terms of the aircraft of the future, I think this kind of smaller, wide body, you know, that's capable of going great distances very efficiently, it's going to be a fantastic aircraft going forward, um, as much as I love the really big planes too. Um, but this was the one that set the bar. So it was originally registered as uh, Foxtrot Whiskey Whiskey Kilo Alpha, um, FWWKA, for those who don't speak uh, aviation talk. Um, and it entered service flying for Airbus in November of 1992. Um, so it was the very, very very first one to roll out of the factory and it had MSN 012 um, and it was the one that was used for many of the certification and equipment testing flights to actually certify the type. So, you know, it's a really historical aircraft and at the time it was the largest twin engine aircraft ever made um, and so it flew for Airbus for several years doing kind of test flights and demonstrations and things like that and then in 1996 in the autumn it transferred to um, Hong Kong operator Cathay Pacific where it was given registration number VRL, uh, sorry, HLJ. And that changed later on to BHLJ, but it's always retained the HLJ portion of its registration. And so, of course, all the test equipment was removed and, and a proper passenger cabin fitted with um, about 260 economy seats and 40-odd business class seats. And there it stayed for 24 years of um, passenger service. Um, so it's flown for the main Cathay Pacific brand. And then later on in life, it transferred over to um, Dragonair, which later became Cathay Dragon, which is their kind of short haul budget um, arm of the business. Um, and over its lifespan, it conducted 63,000 hours of flying and nearly 27,000 cycles. So it's, you know, it's had a mega lifespan, really. Um, and I'm sure most passengers flying on it didn't know they were flying on the world's very first A330. You know, it would have been cool to be a passenger. Um, but sadly, it's been put out to pasture you know it's it's 28 years old now so it's uh, it's time for it to rest its wheels as they say um so the very last revenue flight was on July the 6th. Um, it was usually flying between Hong Kong and Shanghai. So it arrived back to Hong Kong and that was when it was officially withdrawn from use. Um, and then on July 17th, it flew to its final resting place, which is in Taipei. Um, so it's being stored there. And, you know, as much as we'd like to think it will go to some lovely aviation museum, um, more than likely it's going to be butchered well, up for bits and pieces. I mean, the... Um the first 777 that they had went to an aviation museum, so it kind of would make sense that um, it would follow. It, would. But it really would. It would be very nice if it did. And yeah. uh, let's hope that it does, um, because there are some aircraft that have ended up with, uh, you know, preserved status. But um, yeah. given the current environment, maybe not. <laughs> mm, we'll have to see. Absolutely. Well, I think that's about all we've got time for today. We do hope you enjoyed the podcast and welcome any feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or simply find us on social media. Search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed our podcast, please do leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.